Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 8, August 18-24, The Dead in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13-18. to Sabbath afternoon, August 18. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Creator. You are the one who provided salvation for each one of us. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us. May we see more of Jesus as we read the scriptures in First Thessalonians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Let's read that again, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The key thought for this week is, Paul gives the Thessalonians, and us, a powerful hope for the future, the promise of the second coming of Christ. In the passage for this week, 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18, Paul is reacting to a theological misunderstanding among the Thessalonians. Though we are not entirely clear as to what error was there, some members were definitely in distress regarding the fate of believers who died before Jesus' return. The issue seems to have been about the difference between those who died before that return and those who would be alive when it happens. This week, we will explore what we know about the situation that led Paul to write 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. In this passage, Paul not only corrects 1st century misunderstandings, but he provides solid ground on which 21st century Christians can stand. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Amos 3, 7. And... Through the prophetic ministry of the Apostle Paul, the Lord has revealed to us wonderful truths regarding the nature of the second coming. As we study these verses, prayerfully dwell on the incredible hope that's contained in them for us. Sunday, August 19, The Situation in Thessalonica Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. List the clues in this passage that point to the false beliefs in the Thessalonian church that brought unnecessary grief to those who held them. Let's begin at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Within the Judaism of Paul's day, a variety of views regarding the end time were prevalent. One of these viewpoints, in some form, crept into the Thessalonian church. Though we're not certain exactly what it was, it seems to have been the idea that, though all of God's faithful would share in the world to come, only those who were alive at the end would be carried up into heaven. Those who died before the end would be resurrected and remain on earth. In such a belief system, it would be a serious disadvantage to die before the end came. But it would also mean a separation between those taken to heaven and those left on earth. If the Thessalonians Paul was writing to lived until the end, they would truly ascend to heaven at the second coming of Jesus, but they would have to leave their deceased loved ones behind on earth. It is not surprising, therefore, that Paul begins 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18 with a comment about the church's ignorance rather than with, you know very well, which appears elsewhere. Regarding the prophecy about the second coming, there were important things the church didn't know and other things they would need to unlearn. As we think about prophecy, we must remember that it is not given to satisfy our curiosity about the timing and details of end-time events. Prophecy has an ethical and moral purpose. God designed it to teach us how to live. It is intended to provide encouragement and purpose, especially in the midst of suffering and loss. Rightly understood, the prophecies of the Bible have life-changing power. In other words, while it's important to believe like an Adventist, which means believing in Bible prophecy, it's even more important to live like one. So, to finish today, what does it mean to live like a Seventh-day Adventist? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Monday, August 20, Hopeless Grief Question. According to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, what was Paul's purpose for writing verses 13 to 18? Why should this text mean so much for us today? Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Why were the Thessalonian believers grieving as if they had no hope? A major factor was probably the short period that Paul was with them. We know that Paul talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
There is also evidence that he talked about final events, even if his instruction was misunderstood. But he may not have had time to clarify issues related to the resurrection of believers. A further element is the pagan background of most of the believers to whom Paul was writing. Though the mystery religions of the time offered a picture of the afterlife, most pagans had no hope of life after death. A poignant example of this is found in a 2nd century letter, and it's quoted in Adolf Deismann's Light from the Ancient East, page 176. Irene to Theonophrus and Philo, good comfort. I am as sorry and weep over the departed one as I wept for Didymus. And all things whatsoever were fitting I have done, and all mine, Ephroditus and Thermilion and Philion and Apollonius and Plantus. But nevertheless, against such things one can do nothing. Therefore, comfort ye one another, fare ye well. It is ironic that this letter to a mother who has lost her son ends with the same words as 1 Thessalonians 4.18, even if they have a radically different twist. Comfort one another, even though there is no hope. That is what she was saying. What a contrast to that which Paul expresses to the Thessalonians. Paul's purpose for the passage is outlined in contrasting phrases at the beginning and the end. Paul writes in order that they might not grieve as do those who have no hope, and he intends that the truth about the nature of the second coming will give them glorious reasons to comfort each other in times of loss. Verse 18 reads, Therefore comfort one another with these words. So, to finish the day, someone once said, In the long run, we're all dead anyway. From a totally human perspective, that's right. From a biblical perspective, however, that view is very short-sighted. In the long run, what is the great hope we have in Jesus, and how can we learn to take comfort in that hope right now? Tuesday, August 21, Dying and Rising, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 4.14. What hope does Paul offer regarding those who have died? 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In verse 14, Paul offers the solution to the problem of hopeless grief. In the original language, he describes the believers who have died as having fallen asleep through Jesus. While falling asleep is a common metaphor for death in New Testament times, the normal expression for a believer's death is fallen asleep in Jesus or in Christ. A good example of this is the dead in Christ of verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
A second issue with the text is the idea that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Some read this phrase as meaning that those who have died in Christ, and they presumed went to heaven at death, will return with Jesus when he comes. But this interpretation contradicts Paul's own teaching in verse 16, that the resurrection of dead believers occurs at the second coming, not before. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Question. How does 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 and 51-58 help us to understand the point in 1 Thessalonians 4.14? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. And then verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can know what he's saying if we pay careful attention to Paul's main point. He is drawing a parallel between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the death and resurrection of the believer. For Paul, the recent resurrection of Jesus from death was the guarantee that all believers would also be resurrected at the second coming. Paul's theology is consistent. If we believe, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we should also believe in the resurrection of those who have died as true followers of Jesus. So, Paul is using through Jesus in the same way as in Christ is used in verse 16. The point he was making to the Thessalonians was that their dead brothers and sisters would not remain on earth when the living believers ascend to heaven. All will ascend to heaven together. And we certainly know the promise in John 14:1-3 God does not bring the resurrected Christians down to earth when Jesus comes instead as he did with Jesus he brings them up from the grave and together with the living ones to heaven just as the resurrection of Jesus preceded his ascension to heaven so it will be with his faithful followers
Wednesday, August 22, Rising in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13 through to chapter 5 verse 11, Paul builds on the earthly teachings of Jesus. Let's read that completely. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and, as a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Paul builds on the earthly teachings of Jesus. There are more than a dozen parallels between these end-time passages and the sayings of Jesus recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. But when Paul talks about the word of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he is referring to a saying of Jesus that did not make it into the four Gospels, but that Paul preserves for us. A clear example of this same thing is seen in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Let's have a look at that, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. I have shown you in every way, by labouring like this, that you must support the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. According to Paul, what happens when Christ returns? See also Revelation 1, 7, Matthew 24, 31, John 5, 28 and 29, and Acts 1, 9 to 11. Well, we'll start with 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Well, we'll compare that with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. And we'll compare that with Matthew 24 and verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The second coming of Jesus is a noisy event. It is accompanied by a commanding shout from an archangel and the trumpet of God. Everyone will hear it and see it, as we read in Revelation 1.7 and Matthew 24.31 and John 5.28-29 and Acts 1.9-11. But the key point for Paul here is the order of events when Jesus comes. The Thessalonians had come to believe that dying before the return of Jesus would involve some sort of disadvantage in eternity, probably eternal physical separation from those who lived until Jesus' return. In this text, Paul assures the Thessalonians that the living believers do not proceed or have any advantage over the dead. The dead in Christ are the ones who rise first. We can read about that too in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 4 to 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That happens before the living ascend to meet Jesus in the air in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. The righteous dead are resurrected and given immortality along with those who are alive when he returns. This passage does not teach that believers go to heaven when they die. If Paul had taught the Thessalonian believers that their dead loved ones were in heaven, why would they be grieving? And why didn't he just tell them so? Instead, the comfort Paul offers here is the knowledge that the resurrection will reunite them with those they have loved. So, to finish today, think about all that happens at the second coming of Christ. 
Jesus comes in the sky. Everyone sees him. The dead are brought to life. The living are given immortality and all are taken back to heaven. In one sense, it's so outrageous, so against all that common sense, experience and even science teach us. Yet, this is what we have to believe. Otherwise, we have no hope. If we can trust the Lord in something like this, how can you not trust him with whatever smaller things with which you are struggling? Thursday, August 23, Comfort One Another Question. Read First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, 17 and 18. What is the ultimate purpose of this passage about the second coming of Jesus? Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. As we said earlier, the purpose of prophecy is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to teach us how to live today. For Paul, the order of final events has practical implications for everyday Christian living. Prophecy is valuable to the degree that it impacts the way we relate to God and to each other. In this case, Paul wanted to use last day events to bring comfort to those who had lost loved ones. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. What important aspects of the Bible's teaching about the second coming are not covered in these texts? Also look at John 14, Matthew 24 and Acts chapter 1. Well, first of all, verses 16 and 17 in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let's compare that with John 14, 1-3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Matthew 24 and verse 31. And that reads... And he will send his angels with a great shout of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This text says that believers join Jesus in the air to be with him forever. The key theme is the act of reuniting with each other and being together with Jesus. The text is silent regarding where they go after the initial encounter in the air. Paul himself clearly does not say that the believers will descend from heaven to earth with Jesus and reign there at the second coming. In fact, within the passage itself, the movement of the saints is only upward. The dead believers first rise up from their graves. Then they and the living believers ascend together to meet their Lord in the air. Paul provides further information in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and 24. There he draws a strong parallel between the experience of Jesus and of those in Christ. Jesus arose and ascended to heaven as a firstfruit, which implies that those who are in him will have a similar experience. The immediate destination of the saints is clarified outside of Paul in John 14, 1 to 3. When Jesus comes, he will take his disciples to be where he is, heaven. He does not come to join them where they are on earth. This is why Adventists believe that during the thousand years after Jesus' return, the righteous will be with him in heaven, the wicked will be dead, and Satan will be confined to earth with no one to tempt or annoy. Only after all the events associated with the millennium do the faithful come back to the earth to dwell. And that's recorded in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and Revelation 3.12. We should have a look at those. I'm going to turn in the scripture. I haven't prepared this one, but it sounds like it's one that really we ought to have a look at. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So to finish the day, look at how otherworldly our ultimate hope is. How, though, could it be otherwise? After all, what real long-term hope does this world offer us? How can we learn, then, not to get so caught up in that which offers us no hope anyway? Friday, August 24. From the book Acts of the Apostles, page 259, we read, Many interpret this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, to mean that the sleeping ones will be brought with Christ from heaven. But Paul meant that as Christ was raised from the dead, so God will call the sleeping saints from their graves and take them with him to heaven. And from the same book, page 258, 
The Thessalonians had eagerly grasped the idea that Christ was coming to change the faithful who were alive and to take them to himself. They had carefully guarded the lives of their friends, lest they should die and lose the blessing which they looked forward to receiving at the coming of their Lord. But one after another their loved ones had been taken from them, and with anguish the Thessalonians had looked for the last time upon the faces of their dead, hardly daring to hope to meet them in a future life. As Paul's epistle was opened and read, great joy and consolation was brought to the church by the words revealing the true state of the dead. Paul showed that those living when Christ should come would not go to meet their Lord in advance of those who had fallen asleep in Jesus. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. In class, discuss what it means to live like an Adventist. What is it about some of our distinctive beliefs that should be reflected in a distinctive lifestyle? 2. Think through the fall of humanity, the plan of salvation, and the promise of eternal life. What did Jesus do that gives us the hope and promise that death will not be forever? What reasons do we have for trusting in what he has done for us? How does the resurrection of Jesus himself offer us great hope that we will be resurrected as well if we die before he returns? How can we draw comfort from the plan of salvation, especially when death seems so final, so complete, and so unforgiving? 3. Read aloud the passage for this week together as a class, and then talk about what it means, how it makes you feel, and the hope and promise found in it. So, to summarise this week's lesson, in this week's passage, Paul corrects a number of misunderstandings about the state of the dead and the events surrounding the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus returns, the dead in Christ rise first, then all believers ascend together to meet Jesus in the air. Believers can take great comfort in knowing that the separation from believing loved ones is only temporary. And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled Faith and the Pigs, and it comes from the island of Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific. Faith and the Pigs. You are going to do what? demanded Midland's husband. I'm going to become a Seventh-day Adventist, she said as firmly as she could. Middleton knew that her husband, her neighbours, and almost everyone she knew would object to her decision. But she couldn't wait any longer. Middleton had grown up believing that Seventh-day Adventists were bad people who held false beliefs. Then her sister married a Seventh-day Adventist man. Middleton wondered who Seventh-day Adventists really were, so when her sister invited her to attend the evangelistic meetings, she agreed to go. She heard only the final message of the series, but that message convinced her that this was the truth. She tried to get the message out of her mind, but she couldn't stop thinking about it. Mittelin couldn't read, so she couldn't prove or disprove what the pastor had said, but she sensed that the Holy Spirit was speaking to her. The conviction was so strong that finally she gave in. When she told her husband that she wanted to become a Seventh-day Adventist, he was furious. He raised pigs, and it was Midland's job to feed them. He refused to allow her to attend the church on Sabbath, so she slipped away to attend midweek prayer meetings instead. Then, one day, 
As she and her husband were talking about her desire to keep the Sabbath, Mittelin saw a bright light and the words, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Although she had never learned to read, she knew what these words meant. Enough, she said, I will become a Seventh-day Adventist. Mittelin faced opposition from her family and her friends. Often she prayed, Show me the way. Then one day, several of her husband's pigs escaped from the pen and were killed by dogs. The pigs that didn't escape began dying in the pen. God, she prayed, if you are behind this, save one pig from death. Just one pig survived. When her husband learned what had happened to his pigs, he not only agreed to let Mittelin worship on Sabbath, he began attending church with her. Mittelin and eight of her ten children have become Seventh-day Adventists. Her husband continues attending church with the family. Mittelin has shared her faith in her home village, and several people, including a Protestant pastor, have become Seventh-day Adventists. Our mission offerings help reach people in every corner of the earth with the message of Christ's salvation. Thank you for sharing so that others can hear. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful. Faithful.